Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, get ready, Washington, D.C. sports fans. The D.C. Defenders are making history by hosting the first football playoff game in D.C. in over a decade. The game is happening this Sunday afternoon, April 30th at 3 at Audi Field. The excitement is building, and we're thrilled to announce that Walters Sports Bar will be opening early on Sunday at 10 a.m. for the game. Get your game face on, bring your friends, and join us for a fun-filled day of football, food, and drinks. Don't miss this chance to be a part of Washington, D.C. sports history. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Set and the 3 2 from Edwards. Swing a blast to left field and deep. Way back it goes. Garrett to the warning track. He is at the wall. He is out of room and it's gone. It lands in the Pirate bullpen. Miguel Andujar with a two run shot as he is welcomed back to the big leagues with a huge game and he puts the Pirates in front four to two. One ball, two strikes. The pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with the heater. 96 miles an hour. The game is over. A 1-2-3 inning for Bednar for save number nine. And unfortunately for the Nationals, they come up short in game one of this doubleheader. So base is full. Here's Jack Sawinski. Pitch. Swing a high drive, deep right field. Forget about it. This is going to be a grand slam when it lands, and it does in the second deck under the scoreboard. Sawinski puts it into orbit, his sixth home run. It's a grand slam, and it's 12-0 Pittsburgh. And now here's the pitch. Swinging a ground ball back to the mound. Pitcher fell down, able to pick it up, and then throw to first for the out. And that'll do it. The game is over, and the Pirates sweep the doubleheader. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, April 30th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park after a rather long day of baseball. Uh, I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, if your goal in life was to see Lane Thomas pitch, uh, your life now is complete, so there is that. But uh, otherwise, Saturday was a not-so-good day for the Nats uh, off the rained-out game at Nationals Park on Friday night. We, on Saturday, had a day-night doubleheader between the Nats and the Pittsburgh Pirates for the first two games of what is supposed to be a three-game series, although a lot more rain is expected on Sunday. But Saturday afternoon, game one of the doubleheader, the Nats lost 6-3. And Saturday evening in game two of the doubleheader, the Nats got smashed 16-1 as, yes, Lane Thomas did pitch the top of the ninth for the Nats, gave up a three-run home run by Miguel Andujar. 
Nats now are 9-17. and 17. The Pirates now are a National League best 20-8. and eight. I mean, to me, there is no bigger surprise in baseball this season than the Pirates. How they are doing what they are doing is pretty remarkable. But, you know, with the Nats, consider this. They're now 7-6 and six on the road versus just 2-11 and 11 at home. The Nats actually have a winning record on the road, but 2-11 and 11 at home. The friendly confines of Nationals Park, uh, not so friendly so far this season. And, uh, Mark, certainly not friendly on Saturday. Well, and I think what's also interesting there, Al, is even the games they lose on the road, those have pretty much all been close. And the blowouts that they have had, and they haven't had many of them, and th- this one was certainly the biggest by far, have come at home. So the quality of play, it's not just the outcomes, but the quality of play has been decidedly different. I don't know why that would be the case, but it certainly has seemed to be the case. And it's crazy. I mean, what, 48 hours ago, we're talking about how they had just had this really impressive road trip, came within a couple outs of sweeping the Mets at City Field. You're feeling good about everything. And then you have a rain out and a double header, and it feels like the vibe has totally changed. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't flip back again if they get a good start from Josiah Gray on Sunday and, you know, Mackenzie Gore to follow after that. But a pretty dramatic turn of events in a negative way for them just over the course of the last 48 hours. No question. And there are some questions to be asking right now. So let's get to what I think in a lot of ways is the meat of the matter off this 61 loss on Saturday evening. Chad Cool. Uh, has he thrown his final pitch as a national? Chad Cool has been the worst of the Nats starting pitchers so far this season, and he was bad once again on Saturday evening. Now, look, if you know what's going on with Chad Cool, you know that his wife, Amanda, was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. She just started chemotherapy, so we certainly are not trying to kick a man while he's down. We certainly wish Amanda and Chad and the Cool family all the best here, okay? We're not trying to be cruel, but we're just talking baseball here. Chad Cool on Saturday evening, really struggled. Eight runs in three and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, four doubles, and four singles. He issued four walks and a hit by pitch. He did have four strikeouts, but he, over the three and two-thirds innings, threw a whopping 100 pitches. 54 strikes versus 46 balls. These Chad Cool outings, I mean, you know, at least with someone like a Patrick Corbin, you could say, well, he did this, he did that. His last few outings, Corbin, and we'll get to him in a bit, have actually been okay, at least by Corbin's standards. These cool outings have in a lot of ways been like non-competitive, non-functional. And Chad Cool now over five starts this regular season, ERA of 941, a whip of 195. So again, not trying to kick a guy while he's down, but do you get the sense that Chad Cool has thrown his final pitch as in that? So if you're just going to take this in a vacuum and say, here's how he's performed so far in five starts to date, there's certainly a, a case to be made for that. There are some other factors at play. You mentioned, you know, one, just the personal level that what he and his wife, Amanda, are dealing with now. And I'm not saying that the Nationals would make decisions based on that, but they're all human beings and they understand what people are going through in their lives. So I, I think they would, you know, at least consider the ramifications of something like that. But I think even more than that, from a baseball standpoint, the Nats are in a little bit of a tough position here right now because of the rainout on Friday. They're going to need a fill-in starter at some point later in the week by Wednesday at the latest. By having this double header, you now are going to have six games in five days. Now, 
Sunday's weather could change everything also if for some reason they can't play. So we'll have to deal with that if and when it happens. But I think they do have to at least have some contingencies ready for another starter to come up, whether that's Corey Abbott, Joanna Doan, Jake Irvin, something. I think they're going to have to make a move here this week. So they would need that person before they even get to Chad Cool's spot again. So that, in theory, would now require two call-ups to deal with that. So given all that, I could see them waiting a little while here. Give them another start later in the week. See how that goes before you make any final decisions. But I think we also have to remember here, Chad Cool's in the rotation because Cade Cavalli got hurt in spring training. He was a non-roster invitee. He had a good first half in Colorado last year, a very bad second half. He was not guaranteed of anything and had things gone the way they were all hoped it would go this spring, he would not have made the team. And it would have even been a question if he had gone to AAA or if they would have released him and he would try to catch on somewhere else. So because of that, you do treat him with a different kind of leash or rope than you would somebody else who is more part of the plan here. He has not lived up to his end of the bargain and what they would hope for him pitching wise. So if it hasn't happened yet, I would think the days are numbered. And at some point here, he's got to give you something, even if it's just innings. The biggest issue here was he couldn't even give them innings. He couldn't get through the fourth inning in the back end of a doubleheader in which they had to use a ton of relievers. And, and he personally felt worst about that. He knew the situation the team was in. So it's a tough time right now, obviously. And I think given what else is going on, they may have to wait a few days before they make a decision like that. But the leash is really short, I would imagine, at this point. And if he does get another start, he's going to have to show something in that next start, I would think. Well, you know who now is healthy. It's interesting that what happened happened on Saturday because making his return from injury on Saturday was our guy, the official pitcher of the Nat Chat podcast, Paolo Espino, off the injured list for the Rochester Red Wings, four scoreless innings in a 2-1 victory for Rochester over the St. Paul Saints. So maybe possibly the secret weapon uh, will be summoned here as the Nats are in a bit of a tight spot. Although, like you said, if there's a rainout on Sunday, and that's an if, but if there's a rainout on Sunday, that could change everything. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare, for example. Mason has worked with DOJ, SEC, and all kinds of government lawyers to get law firm partnerships at some of the most prestigious firms in the country. He also regularly works with partners at law firms looking to upgrade their platforms or brands to firms to better fit those partners' practices. Or sometimes, okay, let's be honest, often, Mason Kalfas works with partners looking for more money as a fair reward for the business that the partners are bringing in. Even in the quote-unquote slow first quarter of 2023, Mason Kalfas worked with three different lawyers who doubled the compensation 
their previous law firms were paying those lawyers. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. He is Scott Boris-like when it comes to law firm partner contracts, and Mason Kalfas will negotiate you a new and better contract today. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now the wind in the pitch. Fastball belted deep left field. Way back. Going, going, gone. Goodbye, a line drive. Three-run home run for Miguel Andujar. Got a two-run homer, two hits, and three runs batted in in game one. And now he's two for two with a single and a three-run home run. As he crosses the plate. It's now Pittsburgh 16 and Washington nothing. Well, you know, it was interesting watching the blowout on Saturday evening if you put yourself through that torture because it was reminiscent of what we did see way too much of in 2021 and 2022. There had not been many ugly losses for the Nats recently, as you mentioned. This certainly was an ugly loss. And, you know, you have Cool struggling the way that he did. And then you had what happened with the relievers in this game, and really in both games in this doubleheader. I mean, Davey Martinez ended up using five relievers in the 6-3 loss on Saturday afternoon, and then ended up using three relievers and a position player in Lane Thomas in the 16-1 loss on Saturday evening. And in the game one loss, the five relievers combined to allow three runs in three and two-thirds innings with six walks, one of which was intentional, and a hit by pitch. And then in the game on Saturday evening, the three relievers and Lane Thomas combined to give up eight runs in five into third innings. I mean, it really was batting practice against the Nats bullpen over this doubleheader. Now, it was not the A bullpen that was on display in either game. Game one, you saw Carl Edwards Jr., Thaddeus Ward, Anthony Banda, Erasmo Ramirez, and Jordan Weems. 
And then game two, you saw Weems again, so he did the thing that you don't normally see, but you do see sometimes a guy pitching in each game of a doubleheader. Weems was appointed as the Nats 27th player for this doubleheader. Hobie Harris in the game on Saturday evening, five runs in two innings. He in the top of the six gave up a one-out first pitch grand slam by Jack Sawinski on a ball that I still think is up in the air. Went off the second deck in right field for a 12-0 Pirates lead, 444 feet per stat cast. And then we saw Hunter Harvey for a perfect top of the eighth. He looked good. And then Lane Thomas gave up his three-run homer in that top of the ninth inning. In game one, though, you know, we just talked about Chad Cool and his future with the Nats. Uh, another rough outing for Anthony Bonda. Bonda on Saturday afternoon in a Pirates two-run eighth, faced three batters, did not record an out. He issued a hit by pitch. He gave up a bunt single. He then issued a bases-loaded walk for a 5-3 Pirates lead. Do you think that we have seen the last of Banda with the Nets? I do think that one uh, has a decent chance of being true, that by the time everybody listens to this, there could be some other roster moves made, and I would think that wouldn't be the most likely of them. Uh, unfortunately, the Anthony Banda experiment just has not worked out. He's faced 35 batters so far this season. He has retired only 15 of them and hasn't been all that effective against lefties, which is what he's supposed to do. now. I understand the desire in a perfect world to have one, really to have multiple left-handers in a bullpen. You want to be able to match up and do things the way that you want to do them. But at some point, it is not worth it in my mind to keep a left-hander just for the sake of having a left-hander if there is a better right-hander available to you in the organization. And I think in the Nationals case, there are probably multiple right-handers who are better than this. And especially in this new world of the three batter minimum, we've seen the the loogie, the left-handed one out guy just is not a thing anymore. And it's hard to even create enough matchups where a lefty comes in and faces two or three batters, all from the left side. And you can take advantage of that. You're going to have to be able to get right-handed hitters out too. He's not getting lefties out on top of all that. So I think at some point here, you do have to look at this and say, it probably makes more sense to have a right-hander who is more effective than a left-hander just for the sake of it. They don't even use him in real situations of consequence. It's not like, oh, big spot coming up in the seventh or the eighth, and the other team has a couple lefties to up. Let's go to our lefty in the pen. They're not even doing that. So the justification for it, I think, is waning. And so I would not be surprised if that is a move that we see before Sunday's game. So where are we with Sean Doolittle? Doolittle is coming off this left elbow injury from last season. Remember, he ended up not undergoing Tommy John. He underwent this internal brace procedure. He only ended up throwing six games last season, though he did look really good over those six games. Is Doolittle going to be ready anytime soon? Well, he is finally throwing to live hitters in Florida, which I figured would be a big step for him. And then, you know, once you do that, it's kind of the next step is go on a rehab assignment and you're getting close to the end. It does seem like they are taking things very carefully with him and kind of treating this like another spring training. It's odd because, remember, he was a part of spring training at the start and was doing everything pretty much that the others were doing and was feeling really good about it. And then they decided to back off and almost start all over again. I, I haven't gotten a good sense if they consider that truly a setback, if something went wrong. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it was more them just saying, they didn't want to push this and risk anything happening, given his age, given the severity of the injury and the surgery and all that. And they would rather take it slow and make sure that once he does come back here, he's truly good to go without any issues. But 
you know, if he hasn't even pitched in a real game or hasn't started a rehab assignment yet, we're still talking weeks away. Uh, and if they're really treating it like spring training, maybe even a month away still. So that's frustrating, I'm sure, for a lot of people, not the least of which is Sean Doolittle himself, who was really upbeat and in a good mood this spring. But I can understand the caution there. It's not worth it. They are not in a position as a team to force that and get him here sooner just to potentially have something go wrong. You would rather see a happy ending to that story and have him here. Even if it's June 1st, you'd rather have him here from June 1st for the rest of the season if they feel like that's possible. I mentioned the home runs given up by Harris and Thomas on Saturday night. Carl Edwards Jr., in the loss on Saturday afternoon, gave up a costly home run, a two-run Pirate Six, uh, gave up a two-out, two-run homer by Miguel Andujar, who homered in each game of the doubleheader. That home run put the Pirates up 4-2. So yeah, a rough day for Nationals pitching. You could argue, I don't know if you would say he was the biggest bright spot in terms of Nats pitching on the day, but he at least did an okay job once again. And by Patrick Corbin standards, he's actually on a bit of a run here, right? Three consecutive starts in which he has been okay, which again, by 2023 Corbin standards, it's actually pretty good. But Corbin in a game on Saturday afternoon, three runs in five and a third innings. Uh, he gave up seven hits, a home run, two doubles, and four singles. Only issued one walk, but he also only had two strikeouts. Uh, he threw 91 pitches over the five and a third innings. I mean, I almost feel bad with the way that we now talk about Corbin because we really have adjusted the standard and he's talked about and graded on such a curve at this point, which is, you know, obviously an indictment of the way he is pitched in recent seasons. But, you know, whereas with Chad Cool, it hasn't been competitive, I guess at least with Corbin, it has been competitive. It hasn't been good, but it hasn't been awful. And we unfortunately had become used to awful these last three seasons. Right. It has been much more competitive. He's giving them a chance. And I think he's doing that because for the most part, he has been able to minimize damage. I mean, look, he was pitching out a lot of traffic throughout that start of his, but he limited it to, you know, pretty much one run at a time and helped himself out. He had a big pickoff move to thwart one rally. He got uh, caught stealing with the help of Riley Adams to get him uh, some help in another inning. So it certainly hasn't been great, but I agree. You do have to start looking at his starts in a different way. It's just the sad truth of the situation. If he can give you five or six innings and three or four runs, even that is giving you a chance. And that's what he's doing right now. And you know, I guess the blessing of all this is that Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore in particular have been so good that they're now the focal point of the rotation. Trevor Williams has been solid and giving them a chance too, and so he kind of takes a step up there. And so we really are just looking at Corbin as probably their number four starter at the moment. And so if this is what he is as a number four starter, that's fine. No, it's not worth how much they're paying him, of course, and it's nowhere close to what he used to be or what he was supposed to be for the franchise. But you do have to lower the bar at this point, and he is at least taking the ball every fifth day, giving them some innings and giving them a chance. You would hope that maybe there are some good starts coming up here along the way, and maybe there will be. We Even in his really awful seasons the last couple of years, he would throw in some really impressive starts along the way. So maybe he is building up to something like that. But for now, this has been good enough. And I looked at that game one loss as more a problem with the lineup than the pitching staff, because there were countless opportunities for them to give Corbin a lead, and they did not make the most of them. They were two for 13 with runners in scoring position against Rich Hill. You got to come away with more than that. One of the two hits didn't even drive in a run. So I think we have a very different outlook on this if they just 
collect one or two other hits. All of a sudden, Corbin may be in line for a win, and Davey is using his A bullpen to try to close out that game instead of going with the B bullpen, which had domino effect on the nightcap as it all turned out. Yeah, the nightcap was a laugher. Game one was competitive, you know, for a good chunk of the game anyway. And yeah, I mean, like you said, two or 13 with runners in scoring position for the Nats. Uh, They had eight hits to go with no walks in the game. And the game was there. I mean, the Nats were like right on the doorstep of multiple big innings and just, you know, for whatever reason, did not come through. Actually, it was interesting in that game one because you got a big hit, the biggest hit of the game anyway, from a Nats perspective, from a guy who has had, you know, way too few hits these last few seasons, Riley Adams. He was an Nats starting catcher in that game. He ended up going two for four with a two-run double and a single. Uh, he also threw out a runner on an attempted steal. But Riley Adams in an ads two-run fourth, a two-out, two-run double to the left field corner to tie the game at two. And Adams in the bottom of the third, a full count leadoff single to left field to conclude an eight-pitch plate appearance in which he was down at 1.02. You know, we have become so used to seeing Kate Ruiz be the Nats' everyday catcher, and it literally has been like every day. Like, Riley Adams barely plays, and you know, I think there's a lot to that, right? Kaybert wants to play every day. He's good enough to play every day, but also Riley Adams hasn't been that good. And so he's not really giving Davey Martinez a reason to play over Kaybert Ruiz, even, you know, as frequently as most other teams backup catchers play. So it was good to see Riley Adams have a game like this. And, you know, I, I think it's tricky with Kaybert because I know he wants to catch every day. I know the team wants him to catch every day, but you just signed him to an eight-year contract extension. We know how demanding catcher is I feel like in some ways you almost have to save him from himself because while he's young now, these added games that he catches now could catch up to him, no pun intended, you know, down the line. And it's like you do want to keep his body as relatively fresh as possible. So it'd be good if O'Reilly Adams could be productive and he was productive in game one. Yeah, I think a few more performances like this could help change Davey's mind. I can understand why he looks at the situation and says, uh, especially for a team that struggles to score runs as much as they do. Caber Ruiz is one of his best and most consistent hitters. Why is he going to sit him to put in a guy who you know has really struggled at the plate? So this was a very good game for Riley Adams, one of the best he's had in quite a while, both at the plate, but behind the plate as well, throwing out a runner. They did a pretty good job. <laughs> there weren't a lot of things they did well on Saturday. They did a pretty good job with the Pirates running game. And that's a big part of the Pirates game right now, uh, stealing a ton of bases. They did a nice job, and especially Riley Adams did a nice job uh, in the opener. And I'll be curious as they move forward here. And we talked about beforehand, you know, the stretch where there were no scheduled off days. They had the rain out, of course. But as of now, there's still no more scheduled off days until after a West Coast trip. Maybe you do put Riley in there a little bit more once a series, and a performance like he had on Saturday could help make that a little easier to stomach by sitting Caber Ruiz. Well, it's easy to forget late in the 2021 season, the Nationals' offense actually was pretty good post the sell-off, and a big part of that was Lane Thomas, but Riley Adams also was a part of that. He actually hit pretty well for the Nats down the stretch of 2021. He struggled last season. Remember, it was him and Tres Pereira kind of going back and forth as an Nats number two catcher. And, you know, this season, we just have not seen much of Riley Adams. Uh, In terms of some other things that stood out offensively from the Nats in this doubleheader, uh, Luis Garcia in the game one loss, uh, two for four with a triple and a single. He in the Nats one run six, a first pitch leadoff stand-up triple on a sky-high fly ball to center field. If you watch this, or even if you just see the replay of this, the ball felt like it was in the air for about an hour and a half. So good to see Garcia come through with that triple. But like to the point about two at 13 with runners in scoring position, I mean, Garcia did score 
But like you get a leadoff triple and you only have one run in the inning, you know, like that's an inning that maybe could be something. And instead, it only ends up being a one run inning. And we did have a home run in this doubleheader from the Nationals. Uh, Dominic Smith in the bottom of the ninth of a 16-1 loss made it a non-shutout loss for the Nats. A uh, one-out solo home run in that ninth inning. Dom in game two of the doubleheader, two for four with the solo homer and a single. Good for him for getting the homer. But how many of the Nats' oh-so-few homers have been these like meaningless <laughs> ninth-inning home runs? We've had, by my count, like three of them where it's just like, oh, by the way, oh, here's this home run. Like, it doesn't do anything for you, but it happened. But like, it's not just lack of power for the Nats. It's like when the team has hit home runs this season, and too many of them seemingly have been meaningless home runs. And they've been towering home runs. Remember Caber Ruiz's third deck? (laughs) That was in the ninth inning with them trailing. This was a really well-struck ball by Dom Smith to left center field. Like, I have no idea if that's a sign of anything or that's going to get him going at all. But if we look back and he does have a nice little run here going, we could say that that was what jump-started it. That's the kind of swing they would love to see out of him more. Now, it obviously comes trailing by 16 runs when you have nothing to lose and just go for broke at the plate. The opener, you know, we talk about the two for 13. You know, what was so nice about that New York series is they were hitting big home runs. They were scoring runs in bunches on one swing. And in the first game Saturday, there was nothing close to that. They were having to try to rely once again on singles and doubles. I mean, they had, I think, a few innings in this doubleheader. Well, they even had one in the nightcap where three guys reach base in an inning and it's not enough to score a run. Uh, they had the bases loaded in the first game and did not score a run. The way this offense is going, very often it's requiring four positive at-bats just to plate one run. And as we've said, that's a very tough way to go about it. So if there's any chance of any power coming from anybody, it would make a huge difference. We saw it make a difference in the Mets series. They really need Joey Manessis to get going. He's hitting singles and like that's it. And I thought when he finally hit his home run that maybe that was going to ignite something. It really has not. And I don't know, maybe we're just putting too much on Manessis off the great two months of last season. I mean, this is kind of the state of things. You're counting on a career minor leaguer here to drive in runs for you. But man, the Nats could so use Manessis to just pick it up even a little bit in the power department. I do also want to highlight this. I'm fascinated by this. Alex Call in the first innings of games is like Ted Williams. I mean, he's unbelievable in these first innings. Call was an ad's number one batter in each game of the doubleheader, starting center fielder in game one, starting right fielder in game two. Two for four with a double and a single in game one, one for four with a single and a stolen base in game two. Bottom of the first of game one, a leadoff opposite field double to the right center field gap. Bottom of the first in game two, leadoff full count opposite field single to shallow right field, and he stole second base. Alex Cole now, in the first innings of games this season, has an OPS of 1,217. He's generating extra base hits. He's drawing walks. Again, it's Alex Cole. Again, you know, innings two through nine are a different story. But man, it is something. This guy, you feel so confident in him when he comes up to begin first innings for the Nats these days. He's doing a really good job, at least in those spots. Yeah, so that's, let's see, it's 16 games that he has been the leadoff hitter now, and he has reached base in that first inning as essentially the first batter of the game for the Nationals. He's reached base five, eight, nine, ten times 
in those 16 plate appearances. So that'll work, right? Or you would hope it would work. Unfortunately, the guys behind him haven't taken advantage of that nearly enough. That has quietly been a very nice development here and does raise the question again of if and when Corey Dickerson is healthy enough to return, what does that mean for him? What does it mean for Alex Call? I think it's also interesting that you've seen, you know, in this case, Call started both games and he wasn't in left field in either of them. A game in center field, a game in right field. So Davey is sitting other players, Victor Robles in one game, Lane Thomas in the other, and keeping Alex Call in there and having him be the one to move around and even trust him to play center field in addition to leading off. So it's been a nice little kind of quiet development here. I don't know what it means in the long run if this guy figures into the long-term plan or not, but he is getting an opportunity right now and He's doing exactly what you want from a leadoff hitter. It's more on the other guys hitting behind him, not take advantage of it. And one more thing. It is something. American League, the top team, Tampa Bay. National League, the top team, Pittsburgh. Each team has a payroll of about $64, and yet each team is atop its league. Now, you know, does that hold up over the course of the 162? Who knows? I think especially with the Pirates, there are questions about the sustainability of this. But this, to me, really is stunning what the Pirates are doing, because at least with the Rays, there's a recent history of success. The Pirates have been really bad for a while now, and no one came into this season thinking the Pirates would be anything but bad, again, maybe mediocre. And instead, the Pirates have been like this juggernaut. They're beating good teams, and we saw what happened on Saturday. Yeah. So there was, I think, a little more optimism coming into the season for them than there has been. There is a group of young players that is starting to come together for them. And I don't think anybody thought it would come together this well this soon. The craziest thing about it to me is one of those bright young players, O'Neill Cruz, who is just a phenomenon, a physical specimen at shortstop, a six foot seven guy who runs like the wind, hits with incredible power and throws as hard as like the hardest pitchers out there. And he breaks his ankle early in the season and is out, I think about four months, something like that. They have taken off even since that happened, which I think is really surprising. It's been amazing to see Andrew McCutcheon in what was kind of just supposed to be a nice feel-good return to Pittsburgh for maybe one final season where he was the MVP and such a star for them when they did have that run and made the playoffs a decade ago. He's playing really well right now. He's hitting third for them, and rightfully so. He has earned the right to do that, and he had a good doubleheader for them. They've got a lot of good things going. Their pitching is giving them quality starts and setting it all up. It's amazing what a difference that makes. Now, is Vince Velazquez and Rich Hill, are they going to keep that up all year? Given their track records, you have a hard time believing that's going to be true, but they're riding the wave right now and giving themselves some cushion where maybe they can't afford to step back. And I mean, that division is upside down right now because the Cardinals have been awful and we are almost a month into the season. The Pirates are nine and a half games up on the Cardinals. Now, I get that that could flip before it's all said and done, but nine and a half games is a significant margin, and that's a lot of ground for St. Louis to have to make up. Milwaukee is good. We kind of thought they would be. The Cubs are average. The Reds, we knew they weren't going to be good. The Cardinals being that far back in last place and the Pirates being that far ahead in first place, that's about as stunning as you would ever find a division that I think nobody would have predicted that one coming into this. Yeah. Pirates had that great three-season stretch 2013 through 2015 and basically have been asleep ever since, but maybe Pirates baseball is back. They're also spending money. (laughs) They also just gave out their first $100 million contract ever to Brian Reynolds. So, I mean, it's sort of like a bizarro world here. What exactly is going on in Pittsburgh? Because they are not acting the way the Pirates usually act. 
No. I mean, their owner, Bob Nutting, has a nickname, Bob Nothing, because he spends nothing on the team. Well, the team is doing well, at least right now. So we'll see if that holds up. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you. Email Tim Schober, see what we can do for you. You can sponsor individual shows, individual series, uh, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our new website, NatsChatPodcast.com. Listen to previous shows, contact the show, order a uh, Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt at that site as well. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings from 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com online. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Elijah Green, the son of somebody who played college football here in Lynchburg. His father, Eric Green, over at Liberty as he drives this one to deep center field. Sadui ranging back, looking up, and it is gone. Elijah Green puts a jolt into it, and it is a 5-1 to one ball game for the Nationals as Jaziak has surrendered two home runs in this inning both with two outs, and the Nationals have three home runs on the day. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.